Okay, well, last week we looked at, the, we finished up Matthew chapter 15. And uh, there's really one part of that passage I focused on more than anything. That was crying out, shrieking out, screaming out to the Lord Jesus, to God. Uh, when we're desperate, He answers. And we saw the type of person that God is impressed with is someone who's humble and contrite in heart and who trembles at his word. That's who God is impressed with. And um, those are, this is the kind of person that Jesus was impressed with, with the faith of this woman and the other, the centurion man, the other Gentile man. He was impressed with them. And these are the kind of people we need to be. And hopefully you took that message to heart and you've been crying out to God this week for people you've been praying for. I know I have been. And uh, hopefully you'll continue that. Okay, this week we're looking at Matthew 16, 1 through 12. <coughs> Let's go ahead and read it. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is even, evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the, of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the, seven, of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So we have the Pharisees and Sadducees, and these two groups of people are really different. Okay? And oftentimes we, we associate them together, but they're very different. The Sadducees um, come mostly from leading families in Israel, priests, merchants, aristocrats. Um, they rejected the Pharisaical interpretation of the Law of Moses. They thought the Law of Moses self, by itself, was authoritative, not adding anything to it. Um, they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in an immortal soul. They didn't believe in rewards and punishments in eternity. They didn't believe in heaven and hell. They didn't believe in angels or spirits. The Pharisees, on the other hand, um, we're not really sure what their origin is. We think maybe the Maccabean revolt that came out of that. But they believe that the only that only the tradition of the elders, the interpretation of the scribes, was the proper interpretation of scriptures. We see that all throughout. We've been going through Matthew how they tried to impose. Oh, your disciples didn't wash their hands. You know, you're you're picking grain on the Sabbath. You know, they're imposing the interpretation of the scribes upon people and thought that was the only valid interpretation of the scriptures. Beware of people like that. 
Uh, they were ordinary people. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels and spirits. Uh, but they were only obedient externally. And they looked down upon all the people who didn't live the way they lived. And, you know, we, we associate them with themselves, but I did a word search on this. Um, they're only together a few times in the Bible. They're, they only confronted Jesus together this one time. The only time they ever confronted Jesus together. Uh, in Matthew 3, in verse 7, you see them confronting John the Baptist, and he calls them a brood of vipers. Which is basically saying, you're children of the devil. The viper. Uh, and then we see in Acts 23, 6-10, when Paul is brought before the council, what does he do to them? He divides them by saying what? I'm here today because of the resurrection. And they fight each other and Paul gets away unscathed, basically. So these groups, they, they don't have much in common. But one thing they do have in common is their disgust for Jesus. And we're going to see here at the end another thing they had in common. Okay? But they came to him testing him. They didn't have any real uh, good intentions into seeing whether well, this guy's the Messiah or not. Because hadn't they ever been given signs? Many signs? Miracles, signs, and wonders? And, and when, they, when they started seeing these signs, they didn't like what was happening. The people were turning to Jesus. What did they say his signs were done in the power of? Power of the devil. And what was Jesus' response to that? What did he start doing then? Teaching parables. To hide things from them who really didn't want the kingdom of God. So they've been test. They wanted to test him, and his response is, uh, is a, I, "I love it. It's great. Uh, you 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 use your primitive weather predicting. I mean, think about the weather predicting we have today. Weather.com, all these different devices, all these different technology for it. We still can't get it right. You know, we'll, we'll me and John will say, well, the college campus today, ninety percent chance of rain, and let's just go anyway. And they go there, it doesn't rain a drop." You know, so it's just that even today, in the technology we have today, they can't predict 100% correct. Maybe they're 50% if, if that. But back then, he said, listen, you can look at the sky and make an assessment of what you see and say, what's well, going to be like this? But I've given you all these signs, and you can't discern that I am the Messiah? You want more signs? It's not really a matter of they can't, is it? It's a matter of they won't. They won't see. They refuse to see. They've closed their ears, as Jesus said, when he quotes from Isaiah. And not only that, the signs of the times. I mean, all they had to do, do was understand Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. All they do is understand that, know what the scriptures say regarding that, and they would have known that the Messiah was in their midst. They wouldn't have missed the day of their visitation. So Jesus says in verse 4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's the second time Jesus has said this. Second time. Said again. said in Matthew 12, 39. And what was the sign of Jonah? What was it? In the belly of the whale for how many days? Let's look at Jonah here for a second. If you have the same exact Bible with me, it's page 813. <laughs> it's right after Obadiah, right before Micah, towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, 
Now, oftentimes we kind of uh, have the veggie tale interpretation of this uh, this uh, story. Uh, it doesn't say he was swallowed by a whale. Say swallowed by a great fish. Now that, huh? Oh, did I say that? So there's a point. Prove my point. We're watching too much Veggie Tales. I probably watched Veggie Tales about as many times as I've read the Book of Jonah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Uh, okay, so Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17, all that stuff that already happened about on the boat, and then verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. So he wasn't dead in the, in the, the, the fish's belly. He was alive. Imagine what it would be like to be in the belly of a great fish. Stomach acid and all that stuff that he'd eaten is already in there with you, and you're just partially eating food. You're in there in the stomach. But he's crying out to God. He said, I cry out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Let's stop right there. Sheol is the Hebrew version of the Greek Hades. Let's go to Psalm 16 and verse 10, which is a quote about Jesus here. Psalm 16 and verse 10. <clears throat> this is David prophesying about Jesus. It says, For you shall not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And if we were to go to Acts 31, where this is quoted, I know I'm getting you going back and forth here. This is quoted in Acts 31. Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 2.31. 32. Let's see here. I thought it was anyway. Acts 2, 31, 32. Oh, Acts 2, 27. I'm sorry. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So you see Hades, in the Greek, is being equated with Sheol in the Hebrew. Okay? And uh, that's, that's the place where Jesus went. Now, Jonah didn't literally go there, but he was basically dead. I mean, you're in the stomach of a fish. You're basically dead. And so Jesus is relating this back to, to what happened with Jonah. And Jonah cried out, and even says in verse 6, tells you how deep in the sea he went, I went down to the moorings of the mountain, which is the foundations or the, the very bottom of the mountains that are in the ocean. So he's at the very bottom there with, with the great fish. So it's a kind of fish that can go to the very bottom. I don't think every fish can do that. Uh, lots of whales can, right? Groupers, they can go down there. Yeah, could have been could have been a sperm whale. It could have been some kind of dinosaur type creature that's not around anymore. Uh, but the point is, he went down there, and um, he was. Do you think he was assigned to the Ninevites? I mean, think about. I mean, we don't it doesn't tell us what he was like. But you're in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Do you think it had some effect on his skin? This is where I think the VeggieTales might have had something right here. Okay. <laughs> Because, because Jonah came into the town and he smelled like fish. His skin color changed to a pale green instead of the dark asparagus green they had before. And they noticed it was a sign to them that he had you know, basically died and come back from the dead. And that, I think that was, uh, that was something, something to that. And he was a sign to them. So not just his preaching, but where he had come from. What he had been through. I mean, the Ninevites had to have concluded that the only person that can deliver him from such a situation was the God of the whole universe. 
who created the fish. And uh, this is the only sign that Jesus said these people are going to get. Jesus isn't just some guy who can, hey, you're a magician, come do some sign for me to make me happy. He wasn't going to do whatever they wanted him to do. And it, it makes it, thinking about that reminded me of sometimes we're in the open air and the, the sinners want to tell us what to preach from, what to say, what to do. And they're not my God. They're not, they don't tell them what to do. God tells them what to do. And Jesus wasn't going to give them a sign anymore. Because he had given them enough, and they had rejected the ones uh, he had given them. But what, what happened when they finally did receive this sign? Well, let's turn to Matthew 28. This last sign from Jesus to this wicked and adulterous generation who Jesus was referring to there. Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, and verse uh, 62. And then we'll go to Matthew 28. Matthew 27 and verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, remember while he was still alive, how he, that, he, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So these, these hypocrites, they knew. They even understood. The disciples had a hard time understanding this. But they understood what he was talking about. You know, when he first said, you know, tear this temple down and three hours will rise it again in the Gospel of John. They said, well, you're, this temple took this many years to put up. But some of them understood it. And they even wanted to put more guards there. Did they really think that if he said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and he really could, they're going to stop him? That a few guards in front of him that are sealing the stone up a little better is going to stop him from rising from the grave? Well, let's see what happened. Matthew 28 and verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled together with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them. His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So they so opposed the truth. They saw miraculous signs and wonders. They said, that's of the devil. Parables came. Well, show us some more signs. No, I don't think so. I'm going to give you one more, though. And they knew it was coming. And they knew it actually happened. They didn't say, you know, some people, they try to say, well, he didn't really die. They didn't say that. They knew he was dead. They knew he was in the grave. They knew he was gone. But they, they knew he was coming back because he said he would. And when he did come back, they didn't try to make up some other kind of lie. They tried to say, well, his, day, his disciples came and stole him at night. So even with that sign, they reject, reject, reject. So it's not a matter of having a misunderstanding or having inability to understand or having a lack of knowledge. It's a matter of rejecting the knowledge they knew. Rejecting the knowledge they knew. A little uh, military uh, historical background. Like okay, go ahead. Maybe you know this already, but the uh, Roman army, uh, it's not like there's a volunteer army and not like you can get out of it. Right. Um, you were... Swore allegiance to the, the emperor, and you would die in that army. And when they said a guard, 
they would do that, and if the, the guard uh, failed in his duty, they, would, they would be executed. Right. And so every person on guard knew that, and every person that was standing watch in the middle of the night for six or eight hours, whatever it might be, mm. knew that they could not fall asleep. Right. And for them to report, hey, he's, he's, he's gone, right. he's risen, uh, they would never, they would never submit to this idea of somebody came and stole them. You see that in the verses too. Right. And it says it, in verse 14, and this comes to the governor's ears, the Roman governor. Right. We'll appease him. We will appease him and make you secure. I wonder how they're going to appease him, probably with some money or something <laughs> some like that. Some money or something, yeah. right? But, but they wouldn't have to worry about their life being mm -hmm. executed uh, because they had lost the, uh, the, uh, what they were guarding. The same thing happened with, with the Apostle Paul and Silas in prison. Right. That's exactly when the earthquake right. happened, the guy was going to kill himself. Right. Because he was dead man. As good as dead. And, uh, but Paul said not to kill himself because they were still there. Yes, good point. So now they, he departed from them after he gave them these, these rebukes. And he told his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he clarifies himself if they misunderstand it. How could they misunderstand this when they just seen a 4,000 and 5,000 being fed? That's why he called them, oh, you of little faith. Um, that woman who he just talked to last chapter had greater faith than they did. But he said it's, it's their doctrine. He understood it was their doctrine. Now, now there's a lot, we, we went through what the Pharisees and Sadducees believed. They didn't have a lot in common, doctrinally speaking. Uh, but there was one doctrine they had in common. Let's go to Luke 12. And I think Luke clarifies... Now, Luke doesn't mention the, Pharisee, the Sadducees here, but he does mention the Pharisees and what the leaven of the Pharisees is. And will read Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began, this is Jesus, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden, that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and in the rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, after that can have no more they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, who after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, verse 3, don't get confused, in verse 2 and 3. This is not him telling us to preach what we hear in the air from the housetops. This is God telling us that what he hears in the inner rooms, in the ear, the hypocritical things, will be proclaimed from the housetops. Everyone's getting, means you can't hide sin, friends. You can hide it for a little bit of time. Or maybe just you and God know it, but eventually it's going to come out. If not now... At the judgment seat, it will come out. So this is a flip around of what he said in Matthew 10 to his disciples. Now, whatever you hear in the air, proclaim from the housetops. Whatever you hear in the darkness, speak in the light. No, he's saying, what you speak in the dark. Be careful what you speak about, friends. Be careful what you talk about. Be careful of gossiping about people. Be careful of it, friends, because God knows about it. He hears it. And we should live as if he is listening at all times. As James said, it can keep a tight ring on your tongue, lest your religion be useless, worthless. So the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. That's the leaven to be aware of, friends. 
And that little bit of hypocrisy will spread very rapidly, very quickly. Just like yeast does. It'll spread very rapidly, very quickly. And the whole foundation of us not getting to this in verse 4 and 5, I tell you who you should fear, friends. Fear not him who can kill the body nothing else. This, he, this, is, this is actually, I like this, what it says here, better than it says in Matthew 10. This just goes in more detail. I'll tell you who you should fear. I'll tell you who you should fear. And so we should live in the fear of God. Because by the fear of God, men depart from iniquity. If we live in the fear of God, not just when people are around, but at all times, this leaven called hypocrisy won't seep in ever. Ever. And so there's different kinds of hypocrites. And I'm going to tell you about a type of person. You tell me if they're a hypocrite or not. Okay? They claim to be a Christian, but they don't obey the commands of God. Not even outwardly. Is that person a, is that person a hypocrite? Yeah. They're a hypocrite. And let me, just, let me just explain to you the Greek word behind uh, hypocrisy here. It's just a transliteration of the word, which means that's the way it sounded out in the Greek as well. Okay? Okay. Uh, is to create a public impression that is at odds with one's real purposes or intentions or motivations. Play acting, pretense, outward show, dissembling. It's a word that was used of people who were actors in a play. You know, when you see a movie, the people in that movie really aren't those people. So they're not being hypocrite in the sense where they're being sinful, but that's essentially what a person does when they're a hypocrite. So that first person who claims to be a Christian but does not keep the commandments of God, they're a hypocrite. They're a pretender. What about someone who does outwardly before people obey the commands of God, but they have some secret sin in their lives that no one knows about? That's a hypocrite too. What about someone who doesn't properly represent God and how he is and what his character is? Maybe they say that People who are homosexual, as long as they trust in Jesus, they can go to the kingdom of heaven. I had a guy to me at Austin Peay State University on Thursday. He told me, oh, yeah, these homosexuals, they, they're fine as long as they trust in Jesus. They're okay with God. I don't think so. What about if someone comes to you or you go to someone and confront someone in sin, but you are in sin or they are in sin themselves? Yeah. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 covers that, right? What about someone who obeys God and no one believes that he obeys God? Is that person a hypocrite? Of course not. And that's the kind of person most professing Christians will call a hypocrite. You tell someone who, that you obey God, you're a hypocrite, you don't obey God, you're just like me. Well, that person's not a hypocrite. What about someone who has great doctrine? but no life to match it. Hypocrite. There's all kinds of hypocrites, friends. Beware. Beware. Just like Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of it, friends. Very subtle. You don't need very much of it. It'll spread very quickly. Let's go to Matthew 23. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead, brother. Pharisees hypocrisy. 
Yeah, but he calls it the leaven of the Pharisees. And so I'm connecting it back to the leaven of the Pharisees in, in Matthew 16. Oh. And, and so the, the, the thing I think is Jesus is saying is that their leaven, that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees' leaven, is the hypocrisy. Yeah, that's the commonality they have. Yes. We see in Matthew 23, don't let anyone ever tell you that if you call them a hypocrite, and they really are hypocrite, that you're being ungodly or unchristlike, because we see Jesus say, use the word hypocrite a lot of times here. Okay? Matthew 23 and verse 14. Woe to you... Well, let's go to 13, I'm sorry. That's the first time he says it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So he's calling them hypocrites firstly because there's people who are trying to enter the kingdom, and he's saying, they're saying, no, no, you've got to do it this way. And they're not entering in, they're telling people that they can't enter in either. So you're moving them a different direction. Yes, they're going to have greater judgment. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. There's many professing Christian preachers out there who are devour widows' houses. They come into their houses via the radio, via the TV screen, and they'll take all the money they can from these widows who are easily deceived, and they're going to have greater condemnation. And they'll have great swelling words and these eloquent words and the great long prayers, and they'll think, well, there must be a godly man. Hypocrites, what they are. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Don't think that just because someone's evangelizing, they're not a hypocrite. Just because you have one base covered here, I'm evangelizing, most Christians aren't doing this, does not mean they're not a hypocrite. And if that person who's proselytizing says to the person who he just won over the Christ, supposedly, that you can't obey God's commands and teaches them that, they're leasing the kingdom of heaven, and now they're hypocrites and made them twice something that they are. Verse 23. The next time he uses the word hypocrite. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So they thought, well, I have my box checked over here. But the more important things, the, the things of the heart, the law of love, they were not taken care of. They were missing the boat. So don't think you can say, well, I'm not going to do these big sins, but what about the heart things? The law of love, of justice and mercy. Are you doing those things? Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear out beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. You know, going to a building we call a church twice a week or even coming to a home fellowship that believes in holiness once a week or twice a week does not make you a Christian. Getting dipped in some water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit does not magically make you a Christian either. A Christian is someone who's clean not just outwardly, but inwardly. 
who's not full of dead man's bones, but they're risen from the grave. They're alive and they're spiritually alive inside. Just like the prodigal son, he was dead and he's alive again. That's what born again means. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and you're obeying the commands of God. Now, I know we've, we've quoted these verses in here before, but it's good to remind ourselves of these. 1 John 2, 3, and 4. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Therefore come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be your father, you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God is light and him has no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin. Don't anyone ever tell you, friends, that you don't have to obey God. Don't anyone ever, ever give you this false sense of security if you're not keeping the commandments of God that you're okay with God, because you're not. You're not. This hypocrisy, so it's, I'll tell you, it's out there. It seeps in. I've seen a friend of mine, I thought it was a close friend, a preacher, it seeped into him recently. He wants nothing to do with me anymore. He's gone. I, I, you know, three years ago, a, a young man who I, I really loved in the Lord and I loved his preaching, I weeped over him because of how he turned aside to antinomianism. And I pray it hasn't happened to anyone ever here. It's so easy, friends. There's so many false doctrines that are to lead to this hypocrisy. Once they've always saved, sinful nature, you're born a sinner. All of this nonsense that's not founded upon the Bible can easily deceive you. And the arguments aren't good. They're not good. But I'll tell you, if you're in sin, it sounds good. It sounds good. It's not easy to not be a hypocrite. It's hard, but it's required of you. And friends, just like Jesus warned his disciples, I want to warn you, friends, I want to be faithful to warn you, don't let hypocrisy seep in. Come before God daily. Ask him, is there anything in me, Lord, that's unpleasing to you? Help me to get it out. I don't want this in me. I want clean hands and a pure heart before God. Yes, go, brother. As I already talked about this slightly, you mentioned that someone would have good doctrine and still be uh, unholy. I don't know if that's possible according to Titus, or First Timothy 6 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, not nothing, possessed with disputes and arguments of the word, from which come envy, strife, or violence, and suspicion of people's language. Of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdrawing yourself. Mm. So it's just showing you can't really. I mean, I can understand head knowledge, but yes. proper, proper biblical godly doctrine is not, can only be holy. 
I mean, people can have, believe it in their head and not, but not obey it. That's very easy to do. And, uh, you know, a doctrine does affect you, obviously. It does affect you. And, uh, but their doctrine here, I mean, the, the Pharisees had a lot of doctrines, right? They believed in eternal punishments. They believed in angels. They believed in the bodily resurrection of the dead. They had a lot of things in a row, a lot of their ducks in a row. But this one doctrine they had, this doctrine of hypocrisy, was leading them astray. Just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Whole lump. All it takes is a little bit of hypocrisy, son, friends, mess, to mess you up. Beware. And we even see that in Galatians later on that Peter was a hypocrite. When the Jews came and they were with the Gentiles, Paul was there with the Gentiles, he put a mask on, even led Barnabas astray, it says, playing the hypocrite. Very easy, friends. Go ahead, brother. Go. That's looking for first Timothy four. Then he uh verse sixteen, take heed to yourself and doctrine. Continue in them for understanding that you will both yourself and those who hear you. Proper understanding, instructed by the Holy Spirit and teachers of God. So this this doctrine out there that says I'm a Christian, but I sit every day in thought, word and deed. That is the epitome of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's the epitome of it. And so, the people who will accuse you of being a Pharisee or Sadducee because you say you're obeying God, who's actually being the Pharisee? Who actually has the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? They do. The problem Jesus had with the Pharisees was not their obedience, as if they were that you could obey too much. We saw in Matthew 23 him call them hypocrites over and over and over again and pronounce woe upon woe on them. Their problem is they weren't obeying God. Now, they may have been externally to the, the commands they thought, the interpretation of the law, but they weren't obeying internally. That's what really matters. Okay, does anyone else... I mean, we know we add some things to raise. Anyone else have anything they want to add or... Any questions or objections? Yes. Yes. Let's hear a conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Yeah, that happened in Daytona Beach this past year. And this one, on the first day we were there, that one guy said, I don't fear God, I love God. But he was cuss words coming out of his mouth, these filthy things he's saying and he was doing. And Is that the brother or the sister of... I don't know, it's a guy with the kind of longer hair. I just reviewed the footage recently, so that's why I'm reminded of it. So you can have to have both, that's the antidote to hypocrisy. Yes. Just to have both the, the two pills. And a love of God. Fear and love of God. Yeah. 
fearing God but not fearing man, and loving God and loving man. Yes. So, because if you fear man, you become hypocrite too. Yeah, because then you're not going to fear God. So Luke 12, next time you run into these kind of things, Luke 12, 1 through 5 is a good passage to have on the tip of your sword, to have it ready to deal with these issues. Not just about the 11 being hypocrisy, but about the fear of God that Kevin's talking about here and Jesus telling you who you should fear. Not man, but God. Right. And the king believed. 